Welcome to the podcast, Restore Yourself, Restore Your Marriage, where it's all about discovering the thoughts that get you in the mood, the thoughts that get you out of the mood, and how creating a deeper connection with yourself creates a deeper connection with your spouse. I'm your coach, Shelly Anderson, coaching you through life, love, and intimacy. This is episode number 50, Adulting from Guilt. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for today's episode, where we are going to take a closer look at what it means when we approach life from a place of guilt. I think we all have a pretty good idea of what guilt is, but I wonder if we really understand how sneaky it can be and how it can really wreak havoc in our lives if we don't address it in a healthy way. So in order to increase our understanding of it, let's start off with some definitions. The word guilt can be defined as the fact of having committed a breach of conduct, especially violating law and involving a penalty, the state of one who has committed an offense, especially consciously, feelings of deserving blame, especially for imagined offenses, or from a sense of inadequacy, responsibility for a crime or for doing something bad or wrong, a bad feeling caused by knowing or thinking that you have done something bad or wrong, and finally, a feeling of regret as a result of bad conduct. Now, the Wikipedia definition goes on to say that guilt is a moral emotion that occurs when a person believes or realizes, accurately or not, that they have compromised their own standards of conduct or have violated universal moral standards and bears significant responsibility for that violation. Guilt is when a person experiences conflict at having done something that they believe they should not have done or, conversely, having not done what they believe they should have. Now, Freud even talks about guilt being a feeling that does not go away easily. In fact, he considers a sense of guilt to be the most powerful of all obstacles to recovery. Now, that is significant. And Les Perot says that false guilt is a disease. At the root of false guilt is the idea that what you feel must be true. If you feel guilty, you must be guilty. So let's think about this in our everyday lives and see how it might be showing up. When we get married, we sign a marriage license. That license is a legally binding contract that each of us, especially living in the United States, goes into by choice. And with the license of being married comes the fact that we are now legally permitted to engage in a sexual relationship. And since for a strong majority of history, sexual activity was to be held off until marriage, that license was the permission granted to begin those bedroom activities between spouses. Even the dictionary definitions of married couples are defined 
with a connection to the sexual relationship. And failure to consummate the marriage in this way is technically grounds for divorce, since marriage has been legally established as the official appropriate and appointed time for intimacy to be explored and developed. Now, while many of us willingly said, I do, and signed the marriage license, not all of us anticipated how challenging the shift would be from not being sexually active before marriage to suddenly having permission to open the floodgates. This transition is not one that is often discussed, and some women find themselves at a loss when they are not really wanting to participate in intimacy or just doing it out of duty or not really enjoying it all that much and then feeling guilty about all of it. And since many women have not been adequately prepared for this type of transition, they end up being intimate with their spouse a lot out of obligation often while feeling like it is against their own upbringing and against their own will, since they have not fully made the mental transition of discovering the reasons they actually want to do it. Or sometimes they will engage in intimacy with this thought as their motivator. If I don't do this, I will just feel guilty about it tomorrow. Um, and in case we haven't figured this one out yet, it's not that easy to enjoy intimacy or even desire intimacy when our motivation is just to not feel guilty. Thoughts that create guilt will not usually help us get in the mood for intimacy. We will actually need to think different thoughts to get in the mood. But sadly, when women think about duty or trying to avoid guilt, they end up taking actions that come from feeling obligated to be intimate rather than taking actions from actually feeling their own natural desire to be intimate for their own reasons and reasons that are completely unrelated to obligation or guilt. And I wonder if we realize just how much of an impact this can have on us day after day if we never start to address it. Over time, we may start to have such strong negative thoughts about this, where we will start to view the man that we love and chose to marry as some kind of immoral person, as if he is requesting some major thing that is different or that violates the expectation of what would legally come with being married. When we haven't taken the time to reconcile within ourselves our deep and conflicting thoughts about intimacy, guilt, frustration, anger, and resentment start to grab a hold of the steering wheel, driving the majority of our actions. And this is not good for marriage. And over time, the men may even start to feel guilty for even pursuing their wife intimately at all, as if he is some kind of lustful animal who has no control over himself. 
his guilt for pursuing his own natural desires towards his wife can start to leak out into other areas of his life, leaving him way more anxious than usual and often feeling like a victim. But let's also look at this from a parenting point of view. So yesterday was Mother's Day. This day comes with a ton of mixed emotions for people for all kinds of reasons. But it's interesting that one of the emotions that comes up for women on this particular day is guilt. I even felt this on Mother's Day when I didn't even expect to. It actually surprised me and caught me off guard. As I was sitting in church, I was listening to a brother giving a talk about all of the wonderful things he learned from his mom. Now, this was quite some time ago, and it was a different time when he was raised, and his mom taught him how to do things that have never even crossed my mind. But as I sat there, I felt guilty. I thought, maybe I should be teaching my kids those things. And I also thought, oh no, if I don't start doing that with my kids, they are never going to learn it. Our brains can be pretty dramatic, don't you think? If I had let that feeling of guilt stay with me, I can only imagine what kind of Mother's Day that would have ended up being. But that goes right along with the definition that says we feel we deserve blame for some imagined offense or from a state of inadequacy. And that is exactly where I was, feeling inadequate. But we have to remember that this is often self-imposed, and we self-impose this with our thoughts. I had not broken any law by not teaching my kids what this guy's mother taught him. This was an imagined offense. I created this offense within myself through my thoughts, and I therefore created the feeling of guilt to exist within myself as well. Now, as I was talking to Nick about this podcast topic and of feeling guilt, he said, even husbands feel guilty on Mother's Day. Now, this I thought was so fascinating. He said that men are feeling guilty too, like they aren't doing enough to show appreciation for their wives. Or they may feel guilty because they think they can't adequately help their children express their gratitude for their mom either. This is another example of self-imposed guilt. Now, most husbands are not out breaking legal laws on Mother's Day that would justify them feeling guilty. So the thoughts that are going through their mind will be what is triggering their emotion of guilt to get stirred up. This feeling of inadequacy shows up in intimacy as well. If we think we are not performing well for our spouse, or if we think we can't satisfy them in the bedroom, we can easily start to feel guilty about that. And that feeling will cause us to be hesitant about the whole concept of intimacy, keeping us from wanting to engage in it more and even trying to avoid it. This action of ours to avoid it actually ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
where our decreased involvement in intimacy keeps us from performing better over time and holds us back from satisfying our spouse. It even holds us back from finding out why we enjoy it for our own reasons. This becomes a cycle that will continue to repeat itself until we purposefully and intentionally do something to intervene and break the cycle. Now, sadly, when guilt goes unaddressed and unattended to, it can lead to some other heavy emotions as well that are also quite negative and difficult to live with. When we don't address the root cause of our feeling guilty, which means taking a hard look at the specific thoughts that fuel the feelings of guilt, negative side effects will start to show up. One of the biggest side effects we may experience are the increased levels of anger, frustration, and resentment that comes from the constant stream of these negative emotions that continue over time and remain unresolved. Now, from a life coaching point of view, all of the actions that we take as humans will be triggered by the emotions we are feeling. So that can lead us to ask ourselves some of the following questions. What actions do I take from a place of guilt? Are those actions good? Are they beneficial? In what ways? Am I happy with the results of these actions? Are they helping me progress? Are they helping my relationships? Are they contributing to my overall goals? Are they creating the life that I really want? Are they allowing my relationships to progress in a way that is healthy? What emotion do I wish I could feel instead of guilt? And what thoughts would help me feel that emotion instead? How much of my day is spent feeling guilt, anger, frustration, and resentment? Do I enjoy that much of my time being spent feeling those negative emotions? Why do I continue to choose thoughts that create feelings of guilt over other thoughts? Now, usually when we are feeling the emotions of anger and frustration and resentment, we take actions that we end up regretting later on. We take actions that make us quick to overreact to the comments or actions of other people. We become more defensive and are quick to justify the things that we said or did. The other people in our lives that we love will start to feel more on edge around us, like they have to walk on eggshells so as not to disturb the beast inside. When we are taking actions from guilty emotions, the results do not usually pay off. And from another angle, when we take a certain action because we know we will feel guilty in the future if we don't do it, like if we think we are simply obligated to do something or that it is our duty, we have left our agency and our freedom completely out of the equation. And we start to feel trapped. We start to feel like we are stuck and we can't, and we can't get out of something and that we're even going against ourselves. 
When we are taking action from a place of guilt, the implied obligation or duty to do so, it implies that it is against our will, no longer our choice, and by some force, and that these actions are also a form of self-betrayal. Now, this can become very muddy, very complicated, and quite tricky to navigate. In addition, guilt can also lead to quite a bit of anxiety, worrying about way more than we ever used to. Sometimes guilt can be used as a defense mechanism, and using denial or overcompensation would allow us to become a person without any guilty feelings. When feelings of guilt continue to go unchecked, a person may even use defense mechanisms such as repression only to feel those emotions when they come up later, or even projection where the victim is blamed for the negative actions that were inflicted upon them. Guilt may even turn into self-punishing, like withholding certain experiences from ourselves that would actually be healthy and beneficial as a way to compensate for the guilt they feel. Now, I don't usually talk about this too often, but I think it's really important to address it here. A lot of abuse comes from a place of guilt. Now, I have had a personal experience with this as I was once in an abusive relationship in my early 20s, and I did not see it coming. I had been dating a guy for about a year, and things were going really well. We were talking marriage and even started making plans. Not too long afterwards, things really took a turn for the worst, right when I thought things were just going to get better. A major shift in his behavior happened suddenly, and it completely caught me off guard. I was totally shocked and completely clueless. I had no idea what was causing it, and I was pretty naive at the time. He kept saying there was nothing, but then started to blame me for very minor and very little things that seemed to set his temper off. This just escalated, and I was so in shock that I completely detached and actually ended up sinking into the darkest time of my entire life and a very deep depression. Little did I know that he was totally cheating on me. The guilt he felt was way too much for him to be able to cope with since he was not handling the issue in a mature or responsible way. I learned firsthand what it's like to be on the other side of guilt. The anger and resentment that comes with guilt is very real and can overtake a person if they don't do the real work of correcting things and making the amends that need to be made. Proper healing is a must when guilt has been involved. People who feel guilt can often just rationalize what they have done and blame everything on the other person. And sometimes, on the opposite side of things, people who are feeling the emotion of guilt can even be triggered to take the action of becoming way more virtuous 
or morally correct, maybe even to the extreme measures where they view themselves as super virtuous and view others as far less virtuous than them. They can even become very judgmental and critical of other people. Most humans can think reasonably and logically enough for a small degree of guilt to be beneficial and actually serve its proper purpose. When someone has been nice to us and we don't return the favor, the feeling of guilt that comes from that would motivate us to alleviate it by correcting our lack of responding in kind. And we would have an internal desire to go and reciprocate the kindness. If we feel a little guilt because we said something unkind to another, guilt could motivate us to not do that harm to them again, reducing the likelihood of them wanting to get revenge in the future. Guilt gives us the opportunity to look inward, to check the thoughts that are triggering the emotion of guilt, to allow us to reflect on the specific actions we are taking from the emotions of guilt and to try to do some repairs. Guilt is healthy when it leads us to a positive and healthy change, and when it leads us to try to make amends. It can lead us to feel true sorrow, true empathy, and to truly ask another for forgiveness. I recently read an article that talked about the evolution of a mother's responsibilities over the centuries, It was quite fascinating to read right before Mother's Day, and its purpose was to help ease some of the guilt that mothers were feeling in today's world with the fast-paced, trying-to-accomplish-everything mentality. I loved their take on it as they approached it with a, relax, you're doing great because you are doing far more than mothers of the past did. Now, this really grabbed my attention. The article said that guilt keeps us stuck and alienates us from others. Though it is a natural and universal human reaction, it is one of the most corrosive of all emotional states, and it does nothing to help relationships grow. It goes on to suggest that a perspective about the history of mothering could help. It says, most people seem to assume that humans have always raised their children the same way, in happy, loving families. The fact is that the further back you look in the history of what we call civilization, the harsher and more neglectful parenting was. And this is true for the majority of the world's cultures. During the Victorian era, European parents scarcely involved themselves in the messy business of child-rearing. The wealthy employed nannies for this task, while the rest sent their children to work, often as young as age four. The Middle Ages through the Renaissance saw a majority of parents offloading their babies to paid wet nurses and evicting their children to live as apprentices or oblates to the church. Most parents shunned close bonds with their children, Both at home and at school, children were regularly and often savagely beaten. The whip, birch, or cane were standard features in every classroom and hearth. For historians of childhood, the documents make this quite clear. 
Across all the major ancient civilizations, from Athens to Rome, from Egypt to China, from the Inca to the Aztecs, childhood was a nightmare. Few children escaped the kinds of treatment we now classify as abuse. Child sacrifice in its many forms was rife, and millions of children were abandoned. Most of our generation were protected, fed, clothed, and educated by devoted and loving carers. But few of us can say that our emotional needs were deeply and consistently met. And currently, we are concerning ourselves en masse with children's emotional health. So, can we really be expected to be an expert at meeting all of our children's emotional needs? I love that this article gives us this perspective. It goes on to say that we are collectively beginners, trying to heal ourselves and what we experienced with our own parents while trying to create a new model of empathic parenting. And then it asks if we still feel guilty after hearing all about this history. It's true, we are all new at parenting when we have our first child, and in today's world, we seem to do more parenting alone. But we actually need the village. We need the support of other women and other able family members and neighbors to help look out for one another. So much relief can come when we share a moment of weakness with another friend or laugh at a parenting fail together. A lot of our guilt comes from the thoughts that we are thinking. We often have expectations of ourselves that are rigid and constraining instead of flexible and compassionate. What if we just viewed ourselves as beginners, as new learners? What if we just thought to ourselves, this is the first time I've had to parent five children. I'm new at this. I don't have all the answers yet, but I'm learning. I love the idea of compassion as a way to challenge thoughts and feelings of guilt. When we take a few moments to reflect on our own childhood and what we experienced compared to what we wished we would have had, we can have compassion. When we feel and experience the emotion of compassion, the actions we will take from that place will be the very ones that motivate us to talk to our children differently or to reach out to our spouse with a heart that is far more accepting and far more forgiving. We all have that inner child that wanted our parents to do things differently. How can we create compassionate thoughts as we reflect on those times? How can we create thoughts of compassion for our novice parents and them not having the skills we think they needed to have? And for ourselves and our experiences as a child and the things we longed for from our parents? And how can we have compassion for our own children having to be on the other end of our learning process and our beginningness. We cannot continue to parent from a place of guilt, anger, frustration, or resentment. And we can't continue to spouse from those places either. We will only regret the outcome. We need to parent from a place of compassion for ourselves and concern for our children. I recently read a funny quote by Michelle Pfeiffer that said, 
Like all parents, my husband and I just do the best we can, hold our breath, and hope we've set aside enough money for our kids' therapy. My thought is, let's get applying some life coaching skills now so that our kids won't need to go to therapy. And how can we have more compassion for our spouse to recognize that they feel guilt too for their own stuff and that they have all of these thoughts and emotions as well about their own upbringing and their own longings and compassion that they did not come with an instruction book about marriage. They did not come with a manual about intimacy and making it all work perfectly together without anything going sideways. How can we create the curiosity and concern and compassion within ourselves that will spark a natural desire to want to be closer to our spouse? These types of thoughts are the ones that help to get us in the mood. Let's start to bring to our awareness the thoughts that are triggering guilt. Let's examine them and challenge them especially if they are self-imposed and no crimes have legally been committed. Let's start to take the thoughts that are triggering the guilt and let's try to do some real thought work. And let's find a better thought that serves our purpose more effectively than the ones that are triggering guilt. Let's start to heal what is broken and let's not wait around for things to get worse. Let's try thinking some new thoughts on purpose, ones that we will choose to think and ones that spark compassion. Here are some examples. Nothing has gone wrong here. I am the exact mom that these kids need. I am the exact wife that my husband needs. My husband is the exact spouse that I need in order for me to become the best version of myself. I don't do things the way other people do, and that's totally on purpose. I'm meant to be a wife that both challenges and compliments my husband. I am totally meant to progress in the exact way that my spouse challenges me. A good way to communicate our contribution to any issues that we are struggling with in our marriage is to say sorry and sorry for allowing the thoughts that triggered guilt to persist to go unchecked. We can say sorry for being critical, being resentful, and angry, and talk about how we plan to start thinking about things differently. We can ask for forgiveness for not doing the mental thought work needed to get ourselves to a place of feeling compassion. And then we can hug and commit to trying harder. In conclusion, let's end by reading one of my absolute favorite scriptures, which can be found in Mosiah chapter 4, verse 3, which says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and they were filled with joy, having received a remission of their sins and having peace of conscience because of the exceeding faith which they had in Jesus Christ, who should come, according to the words which King Benjamin had spoken unto them. I know that all of us can experience this peace of conscience, 
and this peace of mind as we really try to change our thoughts from ones of guilt to ones of compassion, concern, acceptance, and hope. And I know that we can be filled with joy as we apologize for any behaviors that we need to and as we make changes in our behavior that allows us to make amends. This next week, let's see if we can focus on exchanging guilt-inducing thoughts for curious, compassionate, caring, and concerning thoughts for ourselves, our children, our parents, our neighbors, our friends, and our spouse. Because remember, the more you restore this intimacy with yourself, the more you restore it with your spouse. Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you will join me again next week.